This is Journal Talk, episode 17, with my guest, Barbara Stahura. I started journaling in the early 90s when I was trapped in this corporate job that I think was literally killing me. And so I just started mostly venting in my journal because I just needed to get it out. And I was recording my dreams, most of which had me stuck in a frozen place. So I knew something was going on that I had to figure out. And then through the 90s, I journaled on and off. I wasn't necessarily real regular with it. And then I met my husband and we married. And nine months to the day after we were married, which was December 29th, 2003, he was riding his motorcycle and a car turned left in front of him and he couldn't mm-hmm. avoid it. He, he had the right of way, but the car turned left in front of him. And fortunately, he had on a very good helmet, which protected him from, from death or worse injury, but he did have um, what's called a moderate traumatic brain injury. And okay. even though the word is moderate, it's still pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So in that instant, I, I was instantly catapulted into being his caregiver. And yeah. <clears throat> I knew from past experience that I needed to keep a record of what was happening to him, you know, both um, medically there's so much confusion. I really wanted to have a record of that, but I also needed a place to record my own thoughts so I could try to stay sane through the whole thing. And mm-hmm. yeah. at the time, I was journaling in these big, um, fat, spiral-bound notebooks, and I carried it with me everywhere. Every, time, every day I went to the hospital, later to the rehab center, I had that journal with me, usually in my little satchel that had you know, a snack in it and a bottle of water and things like that. But, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I would write probably pages every day because I had plenty of time and plenty of things to write about. And a counselor I started seeing at the time told me I probably was suffering from secondary traumatic stress mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that journaling was one of the best things I could do for myself. So I kept journaling. Bravo. Yeah. Normally, I keep my journal private, but after Ken came home and was able to read again and figure out my atrocious handwriting, I thought it would be valuable for him to read the journal to see what we had both gone through because he didn't have any short-term memory for, I don't know, three weeks to a month maybe. So he didn't remember most of what had happened oh, wow. to him. So, so wow. he read it, and it was very helpful for him because then he, he knew what he had been through and what I had been through. And after that, I kept journaling more regularly, and over the years, because it's been almost 10 years, Ken recovered very well, and so we're very grateful for that. And now, a lot of people don't understand this, but Ken and I have a joke now where um, I I say, thank you, honey, for having the brain injury so I could change my career and do something I really love. So, so, you know, he goes, well, thank you. It's my pleasure, you know, so. um, Anytime, honey. Right. I mean, it it was a classic case of making lemonade out of lemons. Yes, and just being uh, Because it has, it's it's opened up a whole new world for both of us, and I love it. I love working with people with brain injury, and I love working with family caregivers, and I just love talking about journaling, period. So I feel very grateful that from this, what could have been a real tragedy, we've been able to, to get all this good out of it. 
You're listening to Journal Talk, a podcast for sharing tips, inspiration, and expert interviews about therapeutic journaling. We take this moment to say thank you for tuning in. And now, back to your host, Nathan Oren. Hello and welcome everyone to a new episode of Journal Talk. This week, I've got a certified journaling facilitator from the Center for Journal Therapy in Colorado on the line with me. You've heard her personal story at the start of this episode, and she's going to share with you how she turned tragedy into opportunity and give us a peek inside her unique journaling workshops, including some of the journaling tips and techniques that she uses working with people with brain injuries and their caregivers. Look forward to that. But first, I have a few announcements. The second annual Journaling Expo is coming. Write this down. Mark your calendars. It's a free online event. You won't want to miss it. You can get it right from the comfort of your own living room. The second Sunday in January, start your 2014 with a jolt of journaling juice. Mary McCarthy is assembling a team of presenters. I'm on the team. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be inspiring and informative. Please bring your journals and your friends. It'll be even more fun that way. Go to www.journalingexpo.com for more details. A few episodes back, you might remember I interviewed Don Herring from the Twitter chat room called Journal Chat. Dawn wanted everyone to know that her weekly chat has changed to Sundays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Same great format, same fun chat room with journaling experts and ideas and techniques. Please log into Twitter and search for her tweets with the hashtag journal chat, and you can be part of the conversation every week, Sundays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Last announcement, I'm looking for ideas on doing a first anniversary of Journal Talk episode. You know, episode 25 or 26 is not too far away, and I want it to be very special and fun and interactive. So I'm thinking of having listeners like you participate on the show in some way or having some fun with past guests or maybe doing a 30-minute journal-thon. I don't know, some, something, some way where we interact with each other. Write me and let me know your ideas. I'm at write4lifecoach at gmail.com. My guest this week is Barbara Stahura, who has done so much good in the world just by being a stand for people to give expressive writing a try. She's focused mainly on people with brain injury and their caregivers, but I realized very quickly that her approach is so helpful for anyone who might be putting the pieces of their lives together. So I've got four clips of dialogue with Barbara to share with you including some of her favorite writing prompts. I'm sure you'll enjoy those. This first clip, Barbara describes how she came to create her first six-week journaling course and how it turned into something larger than even she imagined. Listen in. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Good. Welcome to Journal Talk. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you're here. We'll have so much to talk about. 
I definitely want to hear, you know, about your story, about your husband, um, mm-hmm. the injury, and, and how, you know, journaling has been your ally and support and strength through that. And then any stories that you have about caregivers, you know, mm-hmm. places where you've done some of the work and, and what you've been able to offer. Okay. Um, but then you've got the blog and you've got the memoir and you've got, you know, all these other things. When I first heard your name in conjunction with journaling after brain injury, I thought, you know, that, that's such a great application of journal writing. Where would you like to start? So it was probably around middle of 2007 and I had one of those light bulb moments and I thought well journaling had been really good for me and I wonder if it would be good for people with brain injury so I you know Mm -hmm. the wheel started turning and I talked to Ken's outpatient speech therapist her name is Susan Schuster we had become friends and she worked at a rehab facility in Tucson and she liked the idea So I put together a proposal and we took it to the CEO there and she liked the idea. So I started this six-week journaling group for people with brain injury and we did the first six weeks and it was a hit. People liked it. It was a small group but people got a lot out of it. So then I was able to start offering it there twice a year, like spring and fall Mm -hmm. at the three head hospital. And then in 2009, I had another light bulb moment. I thought, well, you know, this could be a book. This jur- this journaling workshop could be a book. So Susan Schuster is my co-author, and it's called After Brain Injury, Telling Your Story. And it's the first journaling workbook for people with brain injury, published by Lash & Associates. And it's now available on Amazon, which I'm happy about. Great, um, great. So we still use that book all these years later in my journaling group, here in Indiana, Ken retired a couple years ago when we moved to southern Indiana, and I'm able to do the workshops here too. So there's that part of the story. Yeah. And yeah. Um, probably early 2009, I had been so inspired by the people in my groups. They were so courageous and so honest in journaling. And I'll say too that most of them were men in these groups because more men than women have brain injuries. They're bigger risk takers, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But... Um, And I was so inspired by the people, I thought, I want to get better at this journaling facilitation stuff. Because I had created the original workshop by the seat of my pants. I, you know, I researched and... based on your experience, yeah. Right, right. And so it, it seemed to work and it evolved over time until it became the book. So I started taking courses to become a certified journal facilitator. And I became certified in 2011. And that's what I do mm-hmm. now. I still do some writing, but I mainly do the journaling work. Fantastic. And the journaling certification program, is that Kathleen Adams? Yes, it course? is. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Right. I'm She's wonderful. She's uh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to investigate a little bit. So you found that to be uh, well worth the investment? Definitely. Um, the first step is to attend the Journal to the Self workshop, either in Denver, as you said, or do the home study course and become certified in that. And from then, you can go on to take more classes to become a certified journal facilitator or a certified journal therapist if you're a therapist. It's a great program. Yeah, yeah. And I'm actually teaching for them now. That's great. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
We hope you're enjoying this episode of Journal Talk. Have you already subscribed on iTunes? You won't want to miss the next episode. Go to the iTunes store and search under Journal Talk. All one word. Click subscribe and get your Journal Talk delivered free. Thanks for subscribing. And now, back to more Journal Talk. Welcome back to Journal Talk. We're eavesdropping on a conversation I had with Barbara Stahura. And boy, talk about turning lemons into lemonade. I just love how Barbara took the tragedy of her husband's motorcycle accident and after journaling through it and finding some healing for both her and her husband Ken and getting their lives to a new place, she used that whole experience as an opportunity to help other people whose lives are shattered in the same way. I really, really respect what she's doing. In my mind, it's people like Ken and Barbara Stahura who are the real heroes of this world and earn my respect. Barbara is going to share why she hopes she can reach out to even more people, especially to family members and caregivers of the people with injury, because they're the ones that rarely stop and take time for themselves. But first, I asked her to share what her typical journaling workshops are like, and here's what she had to say. So you work directly with a group right. of people who have had some brain injury from mild to moderate. I would imagine that the heavy injuries would maybe not even... We've had people with brain injury from all sorts of reasons, including people with brain tumors and stroke, because we consider that a brain injury also, because the effect is oftentimes the same as a, as a traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury. Um, but we have had people in the group who have had severe brain injuries, and you know we're in a coma, for anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of months, but have recovered enough to where they could attend. I know a couple of people have come in wheelchairs or with walkers. Several people actually cannot write by hand, so they have used either a laptop or an iPad. When the people come to the group, they can write at least a little bit. Some could write quite a bit. And some can maybe write only a couple sentences in the five to seven minutes that we have for each prompt. Other people can write a page. It just depends on their ability, and whatever they write is perfect, and however much they write is perfect. So there's all abilities and all levels of injury that have attended. Yeah, yeah. And so how does it work? People come into a room, and are you kind of leading some exercises, having people share? Mm -hmm. It is a six-week program, and we meet for 90 minutes once a week. And we, now that we have the book, we use the book. It has six chapters, so we use a chapter a week. And both in Tucson and here in Indiana, there has been a speech therapist who, who attends also. And they're not quite a co-facilitator, but they, they are there to offer comments and, and help out if problems arise. It's been great having them there. Susan Schuster, who I mentioned, she was the speech therapist in Tucson. And then here in Indiana, it's Don Westfall. And they're both angels, and they both love working with people with brain injury, and they're just tremendous. So I'm really happy to have them mm-hmm. in the group. The size of the group varies. We've been as small as four up to about 10 or 12. The caregiver groups that I've done here have been smaller, maybe three or four, but we're working, the hospital and I are working on getting the word out so we can get more family caregivers of anyone with any kind of serious illness or injury, not just brain injury to come to those. Mm -hmm. Maybe 
Barbara, if you could give us a, a little bit of the maybe the psychological insight into what it's like for somebody who's going through this process and and you know describe what parts of journaling are are most helpful what kind of comments and feedback do you do you hear most commonly in the groups each session we probably do three writes you know in a session and then after mm-hmm. each one of those i always ask people who would like to share and it's voluntary and usually mm-hmm. most people do they'll read what they've written and the comments have always been positive. We've never had anybody criticize anybody or say anything negative about them because what happens is, I think this is what happens anyway, a lot of times people with brain injury, they don't know anybody else with a brain injury. And so nobody else around them understands what they're going through. Mm. But when they come into a group like this, everybody understands. And so they really support one another By the writing, they have their own self-expression where they can put their words on paper, which helps to validate them, make them feel part of a group of -hmm. people who understand. It's hard to explain, but it's, it's really wonderful to see. There have been a couple times when some people have gotten very emotional, very sad or angry about what's happened to them, and other people say, yeah, I went through that, and Mm -hmm. this is what I did, and this is how I came out of it, and... Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I don't have to, sometimes when that happens, I don't have to do a whole lot because the other people in the group jump right in to offer their support and their positive comments. Mm. And it's really wonderful to see. The same is true in the caregivers group, too. That happens a lot there, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's really neat. That's uh, touching. Help, help me understand, like, what, what are some of the, like, a person who's had an accident or maybe it's a tumor or something like that, and then... I don't really, I guess the effects of that are so different from person to person, it's probably impossible to say, you know, here's stage one, here's stage two. Or There's a saying that if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury. Um, <laughs> it's true because each injury is as individual as the person who has it. Um, yeah. I so, I mean... You know, people can lose memory, short-term or long-term memory. Um, They might not be able to form new memories. There can be physical changes with the body, Um, Mm. cognition, you know, thinking processes and things like executive functions, which are planning, organization, things like that. Those can be affected. And a lot of times people, they cannot go back to work. So Mm. that upsets the whole family dynamic you know I mean brain injury affects the whole family not just the person Mm -hmm. so there are many many ways that a brain injury can affect people and some people um, especially with the milder injuries if they receive the right treatment they recover very well and even can recover very well and we don't know why but we're Mm -hmm. very grateful so Mm -hmm. some people with severe brain injuries who have been in coma they recover very well too you just never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I always tell people to be positive and, and stay hopeful. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, doctors always tend to give a more dire prognosis, and a lot of times they come true, but a lot of times they don't. And people get up and walk out of the hospital when they were told they would never walk again. I've had a few of those people in my groups. So the, the journaling, I think, just the whole concept behind this workshop is that you have a story of your life, and it's familiar, and you know what to do, and then suddenly one day there's a brain injury and your story changes, and oftentimes dramatically, drastically. 
Mm-hmm. So by doing some journaling and doing self-exploration, looking into your heart and into what's going on in your thoughts, you can begin to create a new story and discover how to live that new story so you could still have a satisfying life, even if it's a lot different than the life you used to have. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about times in your life when you've gone through tremendous change and your own story has been altered or turned inside out or upside down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you have to adjust to that new story. Journaling helps with that because, as you know, you're a journaler. It helps you contain your thoughts and feelings right there on the page so that you can reflect on them and you can go back mm-hmm. and look at them and, and you can think, oh, I didn't know I was doing that or I, I've forgotten about that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think particularly, too, after something like a brain injury, when you're recovering, it can get discouraging. I know with Ken, he would make a lot of progress and have a plateau and then make a lot of progress and have a plateau. And when you're in that plateau phase, you can think, well, I haven't done anything. Nothing's yeah. happening. But if you look back in your journal, you can say, well, yeah, I have made progress from this point. I just forgot about it or I didn't realize it. So there's a whole lot of valuable reasons to keep a journal. How would you like to get Journal Talk show summaries delivered directly to you by email? You'll be the first to learn when a new episode is available. Just go to our website, www.writeforlife. That's W-R-I-T-E, the number 4, L-I-F-E, dot U-S. And enter your email address in the box on the right side panel of the page. We promise not to spam you, and we'll keep your email address private. Now, let's get back to more Journal Talk. Episode 17 of Journal Talk is with Barbara Stahura, and this next bit of dialogue is truly fascinating. You can tell when someone is working with their whole heart because they care about what they're doing. And in this part of my conversation with Barbara, it became really clear to me she's doing exactly what she loves. See if you can hear it too. So we've been talking a lot about the people healing. How much of your work are you with the caregivers of these people? I'm not as much as I would like. As I said earlier, we're, we're trying to attract more people to these groups just to get the word out to the community. Part of the problem, too, is caregivers are so busy and sometimes they're so worn out, they can't get out, mm-hmm. you know, they can't mm-hmm. leave very long. But as a former caregiver myself and knowing a lot of caregivers, they have a special place in my heart. And I know that journaling helps them, too, because I've seen it. Mm. I don't know if studies have been done with them, but I've seen it in my own groups where people finally, they can let down their hair. They might cry the whole first session because they've been under mm. such stress and they didn't think anybody else would understand and they thought they had to do it all themselves or that they couldn't tell anybody about what was going on at home, not that their, you know, their husband had a brain injury or their parents have dementia or you know, someone they love is dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. But just knowing for one thing, that you can get support in this group is good. And then being able to just pour out your heart onto the page mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and really just look into what's going on in your life. Because as a caregiver, sometimes you don't know what's up and what's down. Your life can be overtaken by all of the caregiving. Again, with the journaling, you can help 
clarify confusion, really just explore what's going on in your heart. Sometimes mm-hmm. we push all that to the back when we're taking care of something else because they need so much care. Back to another point that you said in the very beginning was that you yourself were catapulted into this through no mm-hmm. forethought planning on your part to take on that role. It just mm-hmm. you landed in your lap and there you were. Taking time out for you probably mm-hmm. was not, not high on your list at that time. Well, and at the time, I didn't know any better. And, I mean, I was on pretty rocky ground for a while. Um, We didn't have any family in Tucson, so it was just me. Mm. And it was bad enough when Ken was in the hospital in rehab, but then when he came home, I felt totally responsible for him. Mm. And he couldn't drive, and so a lot of times he'd have three appointments in a day with doctors or like physical therapy, that sort of thing, and I was doing all the driving and trying to keep mm-hmm. track of him, and I was scared to death that he was going to fall and hit his head again and something terrible was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say I was sort of semi-hysterical most <laughs> of the time. And um, if he hadn't started recovering or if he hadn't recovered, I would have had to find a lot of ways to care for myself because mm-hmm. I was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so sometimes when people do this for years and years, um, many times caregivers can become seriously ill and die before the person they're caring for because they're under such stress. So um, it's real, real important for family caregivers to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can do that in small ways, journaling, um, meditation, you know, finding time to go for a walk, sit Mm -hmm. out in the sun, you know, read a book, you know. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard, but it's important that you do that. Yeah, what do you think is the biggest obstacle for caregivers to make that a habit? Well, the caregiving itself, I think. The tendency is to put your own needs aside because you can see the other person suffering and you hate to see them suffering. So you're Mm -hmm. going to do whatever you can to make them feel better, even if you suffer in the process. Mm -hmm. So it, Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of, I think, clarity of thought to realize that you deserve good care yourself not only because if something happens to you, what's going to happen to the person you care for, but also because you're a human being and you deserve care. You deserve yeah. to have good well-being and you deserve to have time to yourself and just be as healthy as you can. I just want to say, in terms of journaling, it's something that a caregiver can do anywhere, with like a small journal. Um, mm-hmm. You can tuck it in your purse if you're out. Um, I use a smaller journal now than I did, you know, when Ken was in the hospital, so I can kind of carry mm-hmm. mine with me. And you can journal in five minutes. Kathleen Adams has what she calls the five-minute sprint. So you don't have to spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour journaling. You can do it in five minutes. Once you can really allow yourself to experience what it can do, I think you're more inclined to make it a habit because you'll feel better. You're listening to Journal Talk with your host, Nathan Oren. Journal Talk is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you resources, information, and inspiration about all things journaling. And now, back to Journal Talk. Well, we're almost done with episode 17. Please continue to send me your thoughts, or better yet, post your comments directly on my webpage for this episode at www.writethenumber4life.com. 
I love reading what you're getting out of these podcasts, and it truly inspires me to keep on doing it. In the next episode, we'll be doing some journal magic with Sue Main from the magical land of Arizona. She has created a magic deck of cards that will pull out of you the best journal entries possible. She's a warm and down-to-earth soul, and I can't wait for you to meet her. I'm going to sign off for now, but I asked Barbara to share some of her favorite journaling prompts with us. And she shared something that was so helpful, not just for people who are in crisis mode, but anyone who has a hectic schedule or busy life. Sound familiar? These are great techniques for getting some good journaling in in just a five-minute habit. So I'll close this episode with her answer. Grab your journal and get ready. I think you'll love this very much. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Please enjoy the next two weeks. And whatever you do with them, just please remember to keep on writing. When I give a talk about journaling, I usually have about an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. And I I tend to use a lot of the same ones because they work for different audiences and they're valuable no matter who you are. And so one idea that I actually got from Kathleen Adams was the first thing I do is I ask people just to write down three words that describe how they feel at that moment. Mm -hmm. So if I was to do that right now, I would say hungry (laughs) um, (laughs) because it's dinner time, Um, happy, and excited. Mm -hmm. So then the next thing I do is I ask people to write a five-minute sprint to choose one of those words and say, I feel fill in the blank because... Mm. So I like that one, especially for caregivers, because a lot of times you don't really know how you feel because yeah. you're so busy with everything. And that's really a good one. You know, like if everybody did that every day or every other day, they could kind of have a record of how they felt you yes. know, through the month or through the year. And then another one I like is uh, the unsent letter mm-hmm. technique where, you know, you can write a letter to anyone, living or dead, real or imaginary, or to anything. For instance, in my brain injury groups in the book, I ask people to write a letter to their brains. Oh, which, wow. And some of those have been so touching. People with, with an illness such as cancer, they can write to their cancer. Um, oh. You can write to someone no longer in your life. For instance, my dad died when I was 14, so over the years I've written him some letters. Mm-hmm. Um, or if there's someone you're in conflict with in your life, you can write a letter to them. And if you need to, you can just totally vent, get it out of your system. And then that's why it's called an unsent letter because you're not going to send it. Right. And sometimes that's enough, or you can use that as a basis. You might figure something out and use that as a basis for conversation with that person or to write them a call. A real letter. A a real letter. (laughs) Right. Right. And then another one that I like is to, and that I often use in my talks, is to ask people to write about their best possible self. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of take people through this little guided meditation so they can relax and, and look at the, themselves, say, a year from now in the, mm-hmm. the best possible future they can create the, for themselves at that time. And people really like that. And that's usually the last exercise I have them do and then again, I have them write the three words describing how they feel. And a lot of times there's a change from okay. the beginning of the talk to the end. And after doing that kind of positive look at themselves, people feel good and they tend to walk out of there 
thinking, wow, this is pretty good. I like this. I'm yes. going to do more of this. That's fantastic. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.